So tonight, are we squared away back there, Mr. Dale? Almost, getting ready, no problem. Well, we're picking up with the rapture of the church. Two weeks ago, I started on the first part of this lesson, and last week, Pastor came in and he finished up his, I believe he finished, I think he did, on Christian paradoxes. Like when you're weak, you're made strong, that sort of thing. And I think he did that. So let's go ahead and see what we got. Of course, the rapture of the church, really what we're talking about here is when will the rapture happen? That's essentially what we're talking about. When is the rapture going to happen? I got some verses we're going to start out with. Remember, this is part two. All the, the part one is up on the Facebook page or it's on the church website as well. First Corinthians 15. 51 through 57, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of sin is death, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another verse for you. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Then two shall be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. We're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We're looking for the rapture. We're not looking for the second coming. That happens a little bit down the road. Hopefully, I'll be able to explain, explain that a little bit more clearly to you in a minute. So, some review. We started out with the basics last week of what is the rapture. It is referred to in 1 Thessalonians as we are caught up, caught up, a catching up. And that same word is used in different areas of the Bible. Paul uses it once. In the book of Acts, it's also used when Philip was caught up, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, during their, during their uh, conversation there. There's some different views of when the rapture will occur. We'll look at those briefly, just to refresh you from last time. So when will the rapture happen? Well, this is the first one. This is called the pre-tribulation rapture theory. This is what we believe here at Gospel Baptist Church. It is that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation period. I'm sorry that it's a little small. Hopefully you'll be able to see it. And then after the seven-year tribula tribulation, then Jesus Christ is going to return to establish the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, and of course that last judgment referring to the great white throne judgment, and then eternity takes on after that new heaven and new earth, all that good stuff. So the second one is the mid-tribulation rapture theory, and it's that during the midpoint in the tribulation that that is when the rapture is going uh, to occur, and of course the rest of it is all lined up the same, and then if the last one is post-trib which believes right at the end, this is probably one of the, if it's not pre-trib, most people, I think, believe the post-trib and that it happens right at the end of the tribulation. But again, we hold to the first one, the pre-tribulation rapture theory. 
So why am I pre-tribulational? Why am I pre-tribulational? Why is Gospel Baptist pre-tribulational? So, pastor, I talked to the pastor about this. We, we talk about this stuff sometimes when it comes up. And he gave an illustration of somebody in the church years and years ago. It seemed like it was 20, 25 years ago, something along that lines, where somebody read something or was convinced by someone that the post-trib theory was the way to go, that that was right. And Pastor Bill said, you know, please let me just, he's like, I got to leave the church because we don't agree on this topic. So Pastor said, let me come over and let me talk to you one, let me talk to you. Let me try to convince you at least one time. Will you have an open mind? He said, okay. So he goes over to the man's house and he begins to share with him and he opens up the whole argument with what I referred to you two weeks ago as the, uh, the brick, the brick argument, or it's really just common sense. He said, if we had a brick for every single, for every single reason, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, and for every logical, good logical reason, we took a brick and we put it in a stack, we would have the pre-trib stack here, we would have the mid-trib stack here, and the post-trib stack here, There'd be blocks in each one of them where there's some evidence, but in the pre-trib stack, it's just an overwhelming heaping pile. The majority of the evidence in Scripture lies with the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And so that, obviously, for any common sense person, that would go ding, 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 ding. Say, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. That'll tweak me a little bit to look into it. And, of course, um, over some time, the pastor was able to, uh, through the help of the Holy Spirit, win him back. and I believe he was a faithful member here until he died. And so why am I pre-tribulational? Well, that's one of the reasons. Here's some more. The literal method of interpretation. The literal method of interpretation. The Bible uses, of course, words to describe what it's saying. We believe that the words are to be taken in their literal and grammatical and historical context. And that's how we take them. We don't read anything into them really more than what they say outside of historical context. And so when you look when you look through the word of God in a literal method of interpretation, I don't believe that you can come up with any other explanation other than that Christ is going the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Those other views, they start doing they use uh, the figurative method or they'll use the mid-trib, I believe, uses the figurative method and the literal method. They kind of combine the two so it it's like a buffet. I just get to pick whatever I want. That's not a good way to interpret the Bible. You lose, you lose, I'm trying to think of the word here. You lose some, oh, not credibility. What am I trying to think of here? Confidence, that's what I should say. You lose confidence. I would lose confidence if we just flipped it, flip-flop back. I believe this on this, but because it doesn't fit my agenda, I'm switching it to this is figurative. Not, not good. So the other thing we looked at was God has not appointed us unto wrath. Looked at seven or eight different verses out of just, I mean, that's just a few of how many there are. That what categorizes the time of the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, what categorizes that event? Well, it's going to be filled with wrath. It's going to be filled with punishment. It's going to be filled with judgment. It's going to be filled with suffering. That's the overwhelming theme of those seven years. And there's many verses uh, that God has not appointed us unto wrath. And of course, God's plan during that time is directed towards Israel. And we'll look at that a little bit as well. So we're going to continue on 
with arguments for a pre-tribulation rapture. And by the way, let me preface all this again. Good people disagree on when the rapture is going to happen. Good people disagree on when the rapture is going to happen. But what we don't want here at Gospel Baptist Church, we don't want division. God hates division. He hates, he hates when people are at each other, when there's discord among the brethren. And whatever your view is on that, hey, we don't want there to be any problems. And we don't want this to become a big deal, but I believe there's strong evidence for what we're looking at. The word church is not used. It's some evidence about what is actually not there. The word ecclesia, church, where we get the doctrine of ecclesiology from that word, is used 19 times in Revelation 1 through 3. That's a lot of times. However, it's not used again until chapter 22, verse 16, all the way at the end. The church is kind of off the scene. It seems like it was the highlight of the first three chapters, and then what happened? Well, I think common sense would maybe say that the church isn't part of that group. If the church was to experience the tribulation, surely a description of the church's role would be given. And the narrative abruptly, abruptly shifts from the church in Revelation 2 and 3 to the 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Revelation 7 and 14. What we've seen is that God deals with specific groups of people, it seems, at certain times. Throughout the different dispensations, you would see that that's the way it was. Not that he's flip-flopping between two different groups. And right now we're in the the church age, some refer to it as the age of grace, and I don't believe that those two things mix together. I believe Jesus picks back up with his prerogative with Israel, and they're the people that take back and get back on the scene during that time because the church has already been raptured out. So the purpose of the tribulation, to try them that dwell on the earth. Revelation 3.10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. What's going to happen during the tribulation? God is literally going to pour out his wrath upon mankind for seven years. It is going to be absolutely miserable, 100%. The difference, do Christians suffer during the tribulation? There's going to be millions, I believe, of Christians, of people who get saved during the tribula tribulation. I believe that. And they're going to go through hard times, and they're going to go through persecutions as well. But generally, the difference with it is, is that they're going to be going through the wrath of man. I mean, there's going to be lots of, I mean, beheadings and killings and the, the beast and the false prophet, they are not going to like what's going on. They're going to try to squelch Christianity because they have their own agenda going on. And they are going to pour out their wrath upon Christians. But generally, it's directed that it's not God doing that to the Christians. It's that it's man doing it. So a little bit of difference there. Also, Revelation 14.6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So the purpose of the tribulation, of course, is to try them that dwell on the earth. We see that. But also, it's to prepare Israel for her king. 
Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of fathers to their children and the heart of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What's going to happen during that time is Israel is going to be prepared for the return of the Lord. They're going to be tricked. They're going to be fooled. They're going to be duped. At the beginning of the tribulation, they are. They believe that whoever the whoever the Antichrist is, they're going to believe that he's the guy. He's going to step up into the temple, declare that he is God, and the tribulation is going to, all those things that God throws at him, is going to prepare Israel and turn their heart back to the Lord. Because the Jews, they are still waiting on their Messiah. There's a Jewish temple or you know, wherever they worship over here in one of these shopping centers right next to them, and we see them walking by, and I just, they missed it. They missed it. And so the tribulation is going to get them prepared for the return of Jesus, for the establishment of the millennial reign of Christ. There are distinctions here between Israel and the church. Let's look at them. Israel is nearly four-fifths of the Bible versus the church being about one-fifth. Israel had earthly promises and covenants versus the church having heavenly promises. Think about some of the things that were promised to Israel. Of course, we have, we have Abraham, that God's going to make a great nation of him. That's a physical promise. We have that they had a specific section of land that was supposed to be given to them. That is a physical as well, that the Lord... Jesus is going to rule on the throne of David. That's also a physical promise. The church, we have more spiritual promises. When you go back and you look at, of course, Abraham as well, that Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. And that was a spiritual thing. And that's where we come in on that. And of course, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He was establishing his new covenant. And so we are looking forward to glory. We're looking forward to heavenly places. Israel is the physical seed of Abraham. Versus the church is the spiritual seed. Israel's physical birth produced a relationship with God because he specifically chose out those people for himself. Versus the church is, church's spiritual birth, it brings a relationship. And of course, it is all inclusive of humanity, not just specifically for one nation. Some more distinctions is Israel is one nation versus the churches from all nations. Israel had no missionary activity and no gospel to preach versus the church has a commission to fulfill. In the Old Testament, Israel was, was the light. They were the nation that was totally separate, totally different. They had a bunch of, we would say, maybe crazy commandments, some peculiar things. They were definitely different. They were considered weird, I believe, but they had the one true God and the rest of the nations. I mean, they definitely, you can see through King Hezekiah and Solomon and different things that they definitely had an influence. And of course, King David and all those that they were different. And definitely that I believe that they saw God on their side as well, but they didn't go out and tell the world and preach the gospel like we do. And then Jesus comes along, Matthew chapter 28 and Mark um, 16, 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we kind of have a different different role than what Israel had. The Holy Spirit came upon some temporarily in Israel, 
versus the Holy Spirit indwells all in the church. We see through Samson was one where the Holy Spirit came upon him for a duty, for a task, and he accomplished, partially, accomplished what God wanted him to do. And we see that throughout the Old Testament where there was not an indwelling, but versus in the church age where we are now that when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Israel had the Mosaic Law versus the church is under grace. By the way, let me pause there for a second and not deceive you. We have always been under grace. Amen? It's always been grace. They just missed what, they, did, they just totally missed what God's plan was through all that. That they would see a need, that they needed a Savior because there was no way that they could keep. I believe 613 commandments were directed towards Israel. That's a lot. I cannot remember that. You couldn't remember that. It's There's no way. And some of them were very difficult, very difficult to keep. And, I mean, even just look at the Ten Commandments. We're unable to do that. Unable. And the church is under grace. The grace, by the way, requires more. Have you ever thought about that? That grace requires more? Because in the Old Testament, I'm supposed to give my 10% of everything I have. But in the New Testament, what is it? Everything that I have is Christ. I mean, that's a higher standard. It's always been that, by the way. The promises to Israel was Christ's return in power and judgment versus the promise to the church was to receive us to himself. I hope you see that there is a difference between God's plan with Israel and God's plan with the church. There is a difference. Also, another thing that has to do with pre-trib rapture theory and why we believe it is the imminent return of Christ. The command to the church was to live with the expectation of the imminent return of the Lord, not to watch for signs that Christ could come back any moment. Not that we had to sit around and if if it if it was a post-trib rapture theory, if it, I mean, if it was post-tribulation rapture when it was going to happen, we could go through and we could wait for some of those judgments to start happening, and we could say, okay, well, man, okay, I see some earthquakes. Worldwide, worldwide, by the way, not local, not just local. I mean, worldwide, I see, oh, I see hail, I see famine, we see, I mean, we could just start going through, and we would have a real good picture about when the rapture, second coming of Christ, would happen, but we're not told to watch for that. First Thessalonians 1.10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be looking. Acts 1.8. Hey, you've seen the Christ, you've seen Christ go, and so in like manner, you're going to see him come again. Look to the clouds. He's going to be coming back. Revelation 3.3. 3, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The thief comes in, he breaks in, steals all your stuff because you're not waiting for him. You're not ready for him. If you knew he was going to come at a certain time, you would just wait up at night. But we're not told to wait up at night. We're just told to be ready, that it could happen. He could return at any moment. The context of 1 Thessalonians 4.13 gives us confidence in a pre-tribulation rapture theory. Verse 13 says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not either as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will 
God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Remember that statement, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16, I shortened it down just a little bit. There is the end. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the context here. The Thessalonian Christians, they misunderstood. They misunderstood the relation between the resurrection and the saints who had already died. I believe you can you can read through 1 Thessalonians 4 and you can see that the Christians, they thought that the folks who were already asleep, which are dead, which have already passed, that they were somehow going to miss out. They were going to miss out on the resurrection, the rapture of the church, that they were going to miss out on it because they were sorry about it. They thought those loved ones, and by the way, why does this have to relate to the pre-tribulation rapture theory? Because if the Thessalonians believed that the church was going to be going through horrible, horrible tribulation, don't you think they would have rejoiced at the fact that one of their brothers and sisters in Christ didn't have to go through that? I mean, wouldn't that make us overjoyed about Bob Rose and say, woo! But that's not, they weren't going, woo! They were like, oh no. Oh no, the person who died, you know, they're going to be missing out. And he says, no, 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 no. The dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. So, the silence concerning the tribulation the letters of James, 1 Peter, and 2 Thessalonians were specifically written because of intense persecution. If the authors wrote encouragement for the difficulty of that day, surely they would have wrote about how to endure during the most intense persecution and affliction the world has ever known. During these times, the church at Thessalonica, they, they thought they were in the tribulation. This must be it. It's so bad. We are being persecuted so badly. This must be it. And of course, Paul says, no, no, it's not it. It's going to get much worse. Of course, not in their lifetime. But in those books, in those letters, Paul writes to him, and James writes to him, and Peter writes encouragement about why they're going through this suffering, to stick with it, to push through it, that it's going to be worth it. But they're very silent when it comes to the tribulation. Don't you think if the church age was going to be going through the tribulation that they he would have put forth more, I mean, put forth something so that when the tribulation happened that they would have something to grab onto and hold to? Just a thought. Remember all these things together that we've been looking at. Not We don't, we don't hold to the view just on one. It's when we take it in view of everything. And these different arguments, oh, of course, they're all weighted differently. I think one of the main ones is the two. We talked about literal interpretation of Scripture. And, of course, that God has not appointed us unto wrath. Those are two, I would say, are the major ones. But all these ones, they, they help solidify in our minds, okay, okay, this must be true. So silence in the epistles would leave the church unprepared for the tribulation. I don't believe that God leaves his people unprepared. What about the destiny of the church? A few more of these. Before we wrap up, no one can deny that the destiny of the church is a heavenly destiny. All of her promises and expectations are heavenly in character. The expectation of the saved during the tribulation is not heavenly, but 
earthly. What do I mean by that? All the people that are saved during the tribulation, their expectation is earthly because they change positions. Matthew 24, 35, Then the king shall say unto them on his right, right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This, this section right here comes from the passage where Jesus talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats leading into the millennial reign of Christ. And that's where that comes out of. So they're expecting, of course, the thousand years to be with the Lord. The object of Satan's attack. What is the object of Satan's attack during the tribulation? Well, Revelation 12, it's a clear picture that it is against the woman who produced the child. And Revelation 12, 5 says, to rule all nations with a rod of, rod of iron that can only be Jesus Christ. And so if the church was present, it would be the object of Satan's attack as it has been throughout all of the church age. But his motive switches during that time to be against the nation of Israel. Another reason why we believe that the church is not around during that time. People do get saved, but it is a different age. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This is the work of the restrainer. And we have also 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked... Who's that? The devil shall be revealed, the Antichrist, from whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Daniel 9.26 refers to the Antichrist. And he shall confirm the covenant with them for one week. The Holy Spirit is holding off the devil from his agenda. The devil is not in control about what is going on in our world today. Do not be deceived. Be encouraged. He only does what God allows him to do. That's in your life, and that's in the grand big picture. Only what God allows him to, to do, he does. Remember, he told Satan about Job, he says, you can do this, and you can hurt his body, but don't take his life. The devil only does what God allows him to do. And there's going to be, right when the tribulation begins, the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is going to step back and allow him to come in and do his bidding. The necessity of the interview inter interval. The necessity of the interview. We'll look at these real quickly. After the rapture of the church during the tribulation period, there's going to be some things going on for believers. The judgment seat of Christ. It's when we are going to be rewarded for what we've done on this in this life. The presentation of the church to Christ, and of course, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and passages such as. All these ones right here show that the Lord, that the church has been examined and rewarded at the time of the second coming of Christ. If the rapture of the church happened right at the end of the tribulation, right before the millennial reign of Christ, then all that stuff would have had to take place in like a split second. Now, could God do that? I'm sure. But just common sense doesn't seem like that would 
happen. So, some thoughts there. In distinctions between the rapture and the second coming, I believe this is one of my last ones. The rapture is the removal of believers while the second coming is the appearing of the Son. At the rapture, Christ comes for his bride. And at the second coming, he returns with his bride. The rapture is, is imminent while the second coming is preceded by a multitude of signs. And lastly, at the rapture, believers are judged. And at the second coming, the saved and the lost are judged, entered into the millennial kingdom. So that's a look at the rapture of the church. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.